This is the Red Mars Podcast, episode 100. I'm Andy Mindler. And I'm Brendan Chombley. I'm Trevor Williams. And I'm Andrew Ford. Welcome to episode 100. Holy shit, guys. We did we it. it. How did we do this? <laughs> in other news, this is our last episode. We're done. We, we, we got triple digits. <laughs> Pack it in. That was the goal the whole time. We're also going to phone this episode in, too. <laughs> I moved across the country, and now it's too late for me, so I have to be sleepy all the time. <laughs> <laughs> Well, congratulations, guys. I thought we could talk today about therapy. <laughs> <laughs> no, not really therapy, but um, uh, for today's topic. But therapy. I mean, sure. <laughs> but for today's topic, uh, it's been, there's kind of this trend now of, of movies uh, that I've been noticing, especially animated movies, but not always, going a lot more deeper into like almost being like therapy unto themselves rather than being like a, you know, epic plot with like a mustache twirling villain or even just like a clear antagonist at all and that the like actual conflict is like really relatable interpersonal family conflicts or whatever um just been noticing that more and more especially in like disney and pixar big examples of recent memory are uh encanto and uh turning red have you guys seen those yes i have not well shit <laughs> <laughs> I think we should also right off the bat just like put out a like spoiler warning that we're also going to be talking about everything everywhere all at once. And if you haven't seen it, turn this the fuck off because <laughs> yes, agree. That movie is best seen without any spoilers. Okay, I totally agree. So yeah, go watch everything everywhere all at once, then come come back to this and we'll talk about it with you. Yes, but you can't you can't really talk back to us. It's just sort of us talking at you. Just listen, just listen to us. <laughs> and, and as a side note, if you're getting it on demand, which you probably are at this point, because uh, you're getting this weeks after we've recorded, and I don't think it's in theaters anymore. Uh, do your best not to read the plot synopsis while you get the thing, because uh, otherwise, that's going to spoil things as well. Mm, yeah, so find it with like really squinty eyes so you can't read like small text. <laughs> yes. Just look like, for the big button that says the big play. Big play button, yeah. <laughs> Go in as unspoiled as possible, definitely. Get a, get a friend to buy the movie for you and then close your eyes. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah, get them, to t- get them to turn it on, pause it at the very beginning, and then you're good. It's the only safe way to do this, the safe, responsible way. That's That said, like, the spoilers that you said that they gave you was that uh, it involved... Um, what do you what do you call it alternate um, timelines multiverse type yeah. stuff which i already had known and um going into the movie like the things that i knew about the movie was uh people really liked it um it, it was pretty wild and that it involved multiverse okay. which people were like wow that's weird that uh this and doctor strange and the multiverse of madness came out at the same time um and also like people were like that's interesting because Into the Spider-Verse is coming out or like had come out and they're like multiverse is hot. 
but I don't feel like so hot right now. I, I don't feel like um, <laughs> just knowing that isn't that big of a spoiler because if anything, like you watch the movie and you're like, this is pretty tame. I wonder how the multiverse comes into it and the way they do it is so fucking weird <laughs> that like you just <laughs> You just don't see it coming. And then, like, it just keeps, like, mutating, getting weirder and weirder mm-hmm. and weirder. So I'm, like, knowing that it, like, has the, like, multiverse, really, like, it, like in, in the grand scheme of, like, spoilers, is like, it's very, very small. Uh, I don't know about that. Because, like, if I walked into it without knowledge that it involved a multiverse, the first 20 minutes of the film would make me think that I was watching a family drama. And there was no sort of sci-fi element or whatnot. And, you know. Maybe that'd be interesting. And then I'd just be thrown for a complete loop as soon as they start pulling out multiverse crap like that. And that would have been very enjoyable for me. So I'm sad that I didn't get that surprise. I just don't know how many people actually had that level of like blindness because they had to get people into the theater somehow. (laughs) Right. Like people had to be told a little something. Generally speaking, you do want to know the genre of the film you're seeing in advance. Um, But when I hear... So a friend recommend a movie and say go into it as unspoiled as possible. I try not to even know what the genre is. That's mm. respectable. Yeah, yeah. I, yeah. I think I was spoiled that at least it was sci-fi e. So I definitely wasn't surprised when that sort of stuff came up, and I wasn't surprised that it was going to be kind of therapeutic family drama because of you, Andy. That's okay because this is homework <laughs> for making this podcast. Yeah, and again, none of it really mattered. None of, that did not matter as far as the enjoyment of that movie goes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because like I mean, it doesn't really tell you anything because of how the movie deals with it. Unless like I guess it it might have somewhat spoiled the main antagonist. No, not necessarily. Now, did you find it to be therapeutic in some way or another? Did I find everything everywhere to be therapeutic? I don't know if therapeutic is the right word. Therapeutic to me makes me feel like hot massage stones making me feel relaxed. But I meant more like, you know, did it? help you come to terms with something or do something that therapy normally might have in terms of helping you understand yourself or the world or your place in it or your relationships or any of that, any of that mushy ass garbage. I guess like the thing that like, you know, this, that everything everywhere all at once, um, kind of dealt with that. I think a lot of people who are married, or have been married for like a long time, you know, have is like that, you know, you just like have like moments where you're like, what would life have been like if, you know, X, Y, and Z and this movie kind of, you know, explores that like she gets to like live out her life, like, you know, in all these different ways of like, you know, being a Kung Fu um, master or um hot dog fingers um <laughs> but uh, a lesbian hot dog fingers i mean like i think the thing that like was really nice was like it'll it, it wasn't so much like therapy for me but it was like interesting almost in that it was like therapy for like the characters in that they like the main, main character i can't I it's been a while since I actually saw the, this movie Evelyn Evelyn um like it was therapy for her in that like it helped her like come to terms with her life and the people in it and you know <laughs> that that's called a character arc I mean yeah mm-hmm. <laughs> 
Yes, but what, what about the so, audience? So what I, what I what I'm trying to get at is like these three movies, like Encanto uh, and Turning Red, and uh, Everything Everywhere All at Once. Like one of the things that kind of like all of these movies have is that like for the most part they don't have like a a real antagonist, right? Like they have like family issues that they're dealing with and working through, but in the end. Uh, and I think in every single movie, the person who like is set up as like the pain point or whatever uh, ends up coming around and like either um, not like resolving, but like um, like the issues tend to be having having been worked through and they come around to like uh, their side. Like they see they see what the issue is, you know, like, um Yeah. So I feel like all three movies, like in a way, it's it's like a, them working through their issues rather than like a movie that which is strictly like there's a villain. And yeah, like, we must murder the villain, right, or, or prevent them from murdering us. Yeah, this is more about like we have like family problems and like things are things are not right, and we need to work through them together. Um, and I think like. Uh, you 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 know you're talking about them being therapy i think they're therapeutic for um a lot of people who these movies were like made for and like one of the special things about encanto and uh turning red and everything everywhere all at once was that these movies are kind of standouts in terms of representation mm-hmm. uh they're largely uh, people from like Colombia for Encanto, um, uh, Chinese Americans for Turning Red, and, and for Chinese Americans for Everything Everywhere All Once, and um, you know, things I saw on Twitter was like people, um, uh, f- these backgrounds, like felt seen and like right, especially like Encanto. I saw a lot of people being like, "This is my family," like you nailed it, and like. <laughs> People talking about like which character they were like they're like I my my husband is Louisa <laughs> and they're like when he watched this it was really rough for him <laughs> and uh, you know it's therapeutic in that like it's it's feeling like we're getting a lot more representation suddenly and it's really great you know um, showing these movies to to like Lincoln. You know, yeah. he's growing up where uh, it's not he's not just seeing like movies that are just like white people doing white people stuff. And he's like he loves it. He loves turning red because, yeah, the representation isn't just like a character of a specific background having an adventure that's just like every other. Right. It's not like you're swapping out the white male protagonist and putting, right. say, an Asian female protagonist in the same kind of story. They're they're taking the they're also taking that background and then there's like life experiences and 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 turning that into its own type of story, which is just unique and cool and a, an, an awesome story to to just have out there so that we have different types of stories out there. But then again, when that can when it's literally drawn from people's real life experiences from those sorts of backgrounds and then helps resolve those conflicts in certain ways, right? You get to like take something from it and and it gets to be you know yeah therapeutic right like the luises of the world get to hopefully learn not to like put so much pressure on themselves and to like <laughs> chill back and relax a little bit and i don't know the um oh god what's her name flower girl from encanto 
Oh, uh, Isabella. Isabella, right? Gets to learn that, not to put, again, not to put all this pressure on themselves to be super perfect. I think it's interesting that, um, you know, all these movies are representing people from like various cultures and backgrounds. Um, and they're really focused on those cultures and the families within them and the people within them. And that they like, it's interesting that like none of these have like a villain or anything, you know, like they really did just focus in on the people involved. Uh, and I just think it's funny because, like, white people just, like, make up enemies. And it's, like, instead of, like, actually facing their problems. <laughs> <laughs> so do you see this as sort of like a trend in general for, you know, a lot of these animated features to be focusing more inward rather than sort of, like, external, you know, problems? Yeah, I think so. I mean, I think it's a trend that even started way back with, like, Frozen. You know, like, animated movies, especially Disney has had this whole like you know history of this like telling this like kind of a specific sort of you know kind of princess tale and like they 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 broke out of it a little bit during the Disney Renaissance era right you got like your Mulans and and other kinds of sort of different sorts of storytelling but like Frozen really took those like princess tropes and then sort of like put like a big old middle finger in front of a lot of them you know like yeah. uh, and 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 those tropes were and putting putting the middle finger in front of those tropes was a was a vehicle to say like you know what we think girls are taking, and maybe maybe boys too, but I would say definitely more girls are taking some of the wrong lessons out of like our, our princess stories, and we want to like be a little more explicit in like, you don't marry someone you just met, Anna, right? And and we're gonna we're gonna turn that into a thing in this movie, and then like the whole you know the whole like uh, uh, prophecy or whatever the magic spell that you know usually true love's first kiss has this you know like the whole like background with Snow White and whatever the the prince has to come along and, and give the, the true love's first kiss to uh, to fix the problem ends up being a familial familial love, not like a romantic love that ends up, you know, solving, breaking the evil curse at the end of Frozen. So like, there's like little like bits and pieces of, of this sort of family drama happening. And, uh, and then sort of just kind of expanded from there. And I thought that was, it's been really cool and really powerful. Um, and again, it's like a way to also just tell stories that aren't the same kind of fantasy things over and over again. I think uh, Frozen 2 actually... Um, like if Frozen started it, Frozen Two really kind of took it that like half step towards Encanto, because I don't know. Have you guys seen yeah, Frozen Two? I, I thought. I mean, I would say it took its awkward adolescence towards Encanto. Right. I, it was a very flawed movie. <laughs> it was very flawed, but I mean, you look at it. Um, there's no real antagonist. You know, um, it's it's a it's a journey of self discovery, and it's about them dealing with like the issues of their like family, like their like the issues that their parents or grandparents had kind of thrust on them in a sense. Um, they were rectifying the past. And so, you know, if we're looking at movies where you don't have just like a like villain to overcome, this is like another one where it's more introspective. I mean, like it's it's definitely like Encanto uh, and Turning Red are way more successful at it, I feel like. Um, Encanto especially is a much tighter narrative, and it has much more to say in a much, like, denser space. Um, Frozen 2 is kind of long and drawn out and really takes a long time to really get to what what it seems like it wanted to say. 
and doesn't even it, know what it, it wanted to say. It doesn't really, yeah, it doesn't feel like it really knew. Um, whereas Encanto like feels, Encanto feels very clear and concise with what it is trying to do. Um, and uh, Turning Red, it's it's set in two thousand and two, with like when boy bands were huge, and it's in Toronto, Canada. And it's about like magic. Yeah, it was so puberty. well grounded. It was so well grounded. In it was setting, so good. Its time timeline and its its place. It's so cool. The the like vibe. The like two thousand and two vibe is so real. I I just need to like talk a little bit about turning red and the animation, and just like the little weird things of like growing up that they included. Um, like a lot of people like hated this movie. Because they're like, oh, this was made for someone very specific. I can't relate to it at all. And I'm like, because you're not like a teen girl or <laughs> like, I mean, but you can relate to like a fish getting lost. Like, I don't understand. <laughs> That's kind of interesting. Um, but I mean, like the things that they show, like her, like being like her, like dealing with like early attraction to like boys. And then, like, her, like, <laughs> when she starts sketching, and then she goes into, like, this, like, manic fervor where she's, like, <laughs> doing all these, like, really weird, like, illustrations where, like, it's, like, half man, half fish, like, really bizarre shit. And, like, the faces she's making and, like, the lighting is so good. And also, like, when I was a little kid, like, you know, exploring, like, feelings and stuff. I, I drew a ton and I drew a lot of really weird stuff. And I was like, I don't know, like, this is kind of cool. <laughs> like, why am I attracted to this weird thing? You know, you're just like exploring strange stuff and you do weird shit and being growing up is hard and strange. And I feel like it, it really captures that. And just like wrapping it in magical puberty as a giant panda. And then also the fact that it ends in a giant, like, attack on titan kaiju battle thing with like aerial control like stuff is very good <laughs> so that was one thing i wanted to talk about i didn't know about you know again i haven't seen turning red i haven't seen uh Encanto. but in both frozen and everything everywhere all at once there's both these sort of parallel conflicts going on there's this internal one the characters have amongst themselves this family issue and then that's running alongside and intricately tied to this sort of like, you know, world ending struggle type thing that's happening outside of it. Um, so like, and it's sort of like straddling the lines between what would just be sort of like a vanilla family drama and science fiction and basically just pulling in elements of both and tying them together in an interesting and novel way. And it sounds like yeah. Turning Red does that as well. Does Encanto do that too? Yeah. Um, so but it well, I mean, like, in its world, in its world, it has a kind of, like, almost apocalyptic uh, situation in that, um, so they have they have a magical, they live in a, a magical area. Um, so, like, they were in Colombia, and they were trying to escape, like, dudes on horses with machetes. I don't know. Um, they, there was a very specific time in Colombian history with a lot of... Yeah, I was like, there's... Uh, yeah, upheaval and violence. Some historical yeah. stuff that I don't know. But, uh, like, the the abuela's husband dies or is killed. And then, like, through her grief, uh, she magically, like, in, 
like encases the area and like she like grows the mountains and stuff and then like brings life to like the vegetation and everything and then she gets a magical house and it's represented like the magic is represented by this candle that doesn't go out and everyone who lives in the house gets a magic door and when they open the magic door for the first time it gives them a magic power or a gift so everyone has a gift who's in the family uh except the main character uh who does not get a gift the candle is just kind of like fuck you no door for you when she was like five years old <laughs> right her door literally disappears and so she's trying to like find her place within the family um and then she starts seeing she starts seeing that like cracks in the house and then like one of the one of the characters has like the ability to like see the future and he saw like the destruction of the house and the magic and the, like the environment that they're in. Um, and so she's trying to prevent the destruction of their home and like the loss of their magic while also trying to like find her place in the family. Um, but I, I would say that, so like that whole conflict, right. That whole like plot is so much, it's, it's, it's so it's really smaller in scale and really much more tied to the sort of family drama th- sort of therapy aspect of it as opposed to something like frozen yes where it's sort of like parallelized like there is no there's no, like no impending apocalypse really in Encanto for everybody except for really the family and maybe the town that relies on them for their magic but like that's like less of a dire disaster than like you know a, a dam breaking and washing away their entire city or whatever um also in turning red right like the kaiju moment that's it's more like the the stakes there are that um, the kaiju is disrupting the boy band concert, not that it's going to like destroy Toronto. <laughs> right. And again, very tied to the family drama. That wasn't like, you don't know that's even like a thing until like it should, <laughs> like until it happens. Yeah. So like, it's not like the whole story is like, we got to stop this. The whole story is like family drama. And then this fucking happens. Yeah. <laughs> and you're like, holy shit. And they're all saved by uh, boy band singing, which is perfect. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah so like that, that the trend right it's it is like peeling slowly away from that more traditional way of telling like fantasy animated family kid stories and 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 dropping those tropes kind of one by one until we get to something like Encanto or whatever yeah Encanto like the the like loss of the magic and like the destruction of the house like everything the characters are saying and doing is trying to tell you like the important thing is that we have to save the magic and we have to like stop the house from breaking. But like you as a viewer know and are invested because of the interpersonal drama and like your, how you're feeling like you, like the little things of like when like, uh, what's the main character's name? I can't think of her name. Maribel. Uh, Maribel. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. When like the, when like, uh, her grandmother like says like slightly shitty things to her, and like makes her like feel bad and like you see the expression on her face like you're just like gutted because you're like you know how she's feeling in that moment and she, like her grandma just doesn't like care or like n- is not picking up on it and it's really like they're telling you like oh the magic's the important thing the magic's the important thing but you as the viewer are like no like we need to like like i care about fixing this family like 
It's like that's the important thing, and ultimately they realize that too. <laughs> I kind of wondering actually right now, um, and this is partially related to yet another property that I thought would be appropriate for this conversation. I don't know how much we have to go into it, but Arcane also I would say has a lot of really strong character drama and character writing. Mm. But um, what I was really wanting to say was all of these properties, all these all these works have such good facial animation. And I don't know if like yeah. have we reached a kind of like a turning point where the where the expressiveness of characters is is just possible in such a way that we can connect to them so much. You know, even like even like original Frozen, you know, if you go back, like the animation looked great for its time, but still is a little dated now. And the characters yeah. can't quite do the intricacy and depth of emotion that that like the characters in, in, in Kanto and et cetera can. And I'm wondering if that's part of this. Also, there's another movie that uh, you all pointed me towards a year or two back. Um, I think it was The Mitchells versus The Machines, um, oh, yes. which I think falls into this description as well. Definitely. Yeah. Well, that one that one has a very explicit like villain. <laughs> yes, it does. Yeah. That's fair. But um, the family drama is still the main the main. Yeah, that show. one I would feel like is more in line with like Frozen in that like yeah. it's family drama and like the family drama is like the issue, but also they have to kill the phone. <laughs> <laughs> Holy shit! Though it's not like these are the first movies that ever did something like this. Do you guys remember a Goofy movie? Oh, so Goofy Movie was um, a huge inspiration for Turning Red. I watched one of the really? things the director. She said that like she really wanted to do like uh, a Goofy Movie like for her in a way. Amazing, yeah. Because that I guess that that movie must have been so ahead of its time in retrospect. But like, when did that come out? Late nineties. Oh wow, mid nineties. Mid nineties. Yeah, 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 and that was essentially, a, yeah, a family drama. The main conflict is between Goofy, who is the father of Max, like a you know, say like a thirteen, fourteen year old kid, and the sort of you know, the tensions and issues that come when you're that age and have what you perceive to be a supremely uncool dad who then tries to force you to go on an all American camping road trip. It's fucking great. Movie. He's also like a single father, essentially, yes. right? Yep, yep, yep. So there, I guess the trend actually was starting way back when. Yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, where do we see this going in the future? Oh, man. So, we just therapy uh, as a profession, it's gone. We just watch okay. Disney movies <laughs> yeah. and fix our lives that way. That's, we'll have so many see. different Disney movies that basically, for different conditions, you'll watch different movies. Yeah, exactly. Okay, you're from this cultural background and you have this particular, you have uh, depression and anxiety. <laughs> And uh, this weird fetish. So watch this movie and you'll be cured. <laughs> yeah, we don't need health insurance for our jobs anymore. Let's give us a Disney Plus for free. Yeah. And the almighty algorithm will tell you what to see. I think the thing is like, you don't have to necessarily be from that cultural background to no, like absolutely get not. like what it's trying to do and like get a lot out of it. And I feel like that's the thing with these movies is like, I think, you know, watching Encanto and turning red, there's a lot of stuff where I'm like, I can relate to this. And like, I'm not a like 13 year old, uh, Asian girl, Chinese American, Toronto, in 2002, (laughs) you know, like that's not me, but like, I get it. Like, you know, watching that, I was like, yeah, I'm that time period. Like, th- things things were crazy, man. 
I mean, there's absolutely a therapeutic, I don't know if it's a therapeutic element, but to be able to see yourself in people of other backgrounds is a, you know, a really, that's a really strong part of the representation element too. It could even help you see your situation from a different light, you know, like, uh, you know, like in, um, everything everywhere all at once has like a kind of a queer component to it. I mean, not kind yeah. of like it has a very strong queer component to it. Mm -hmm. Uh, and just, you know, seeing that, seeing that issue, you know, I, I haven't had the exact situation that exists in that movie but like pretty pretty goddamn close, you know, where like people, some people in my life will refer to my partner as my friend and not mm. my partner or my boyfriend or, or, or anything like that. And it's like, oh, ow, why did you say that, it that way? That sucks. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> especially, especially if they put a little pregnant pause. Oh, your friend. <laughs> I don't like, like that. Fuck <laughs> you. <laughs> I'm going to go d destroy every dimension now. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Man, I think the one thing I want to point out is like not the the common thread with these three movies in particular is not just the family drama thing, but also the fact that a lot of the conflict is because of really high intense expectations that parents have for their kids. Yes, so yes. I thought true. it was really interesting that all three of those have that in common. I'm kind of wondering where that is kind of coming from all of a sudden. <laughs> like, why are we yeah. talking about that now? I wonder if that's like so. I'm wondering if like this is like millennials are suddenly making movies. You know, probably, like yeah. they're suddenly the directors, and I'm like, gee, I wonder if there's something there. And the only reason they're turning out nearly as good as they are right now is because their parents had such high expectations and were such perfectionists oh, driving them forward. <laughs> oh man, <laughs> that's the reason why you've got the really good facial animations now and such expressivity in the animation. Right. Their their parents didn't want them to be artists. No. <laughs> they wanted them to be doctors. <laughs> Yeah, I, I don't know. I thought I thought that was interesting. I was like, is this like I mean, like, um, I know, you know, Asian Americans, like it's kind of like a thing where like they always like say that their parents like really ride them to uh, be academically great, like they demand perfection from them. And uh, I don't know, like, I think that's just a thing um, where people moving from like other countries to here like the idea of like the american dream is like you can be whatever you want to be but also be successful and there's a lot of pressure on that and like the only way to be successful is to be like perfect and like i think over the years like especially like millennials like what does perfection mean it like it's gotten harder and harder and harder to achieve that because the world's gotten more and more complex and there's just more pressures and more visibility on people at all times. And I don't know, man, it's crushing. Yeah. And I mean, it kind of leads to things like people presenting these particular personas in social media, trying to make themselves look as perfect and happy as they can to their friends. I don't know. Maybe I'm extrapolating a little bit here. We'll have to wait for the Gen Z movie to have to have that as the plot device. They're just going to be like tear it down, burn everything. Yeah, I can't, cannot wait to see what Gen Z creates. I know. To be honest. <laughs> it'll be, it'll be great. Or it'll be fucking incomprehensible. Here's a tangent, but I have a I have a big chip on my shoulder about a particular style of meme that's gotten popular, which is like a reaction gif, except where the like action in the gif is sped up by by like ten times. So it's like, like, like the, the, the one that I see a lot is, um, you know, Walter White doing chemistry. 
and it's like this like really like frenetic like highly jump cutted really really sped up version of him like putting like drops in in test tubes and it'll, you know the meme will be something about like you know the the, the fucking free to play gotcha games designing over complex monetization schemes that's really specific to my perspective but and then it'd be walter white doing like a bunch of crazy chemistry right and it's like super sped up that's that's like the gen z humor of like of of sort of deep fried memory i'm sure it's going to be 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 manifesting in their movies that they make in in 10 years or so I don't understand like what your beef is with that because that sounds like every meme, honestly. Like it's just all kind of <laughs> goofy and nonsense. Like you seen the one where they're like like the person's like staring into space and there's just like math equations like floating. Oh around yeah, that one's great. Just, yeah, that. I mean like uh-huh. what's the difference between that and no, it's like the, a, it's him like high, frantically the, the super high sped thing? And there there's many examples of it all being super high sped. Mm-hmm. And it's just okay. really jarring. Yeah, so I'm extrapolating from this, and I'm envisioning all of us as old people, like, sitting on porches, telling our grandchildren, you know, back in my day, memes were run at regular speed, so you could actually see each individual frame. (laughs) Memes were just a single picture and some text and a cute cat. (laughs) We didn't have animation. Anyways. Therapeutic memes. That's what they'll... (laughs) Yeah. That's what they'll be making. A meme that makes you feel good. Yeah. It'll make you feel better about your life and your existence. Just in case you don't have enough time to watch a full Disney movie in order to resolve your mental condition. You won't. Because <laughs> you'll be working eight gig economy jobs. Yeah, I know. Holy shit. <laughs> I, I have like a tangent that's somewhat related. Um, so um, you guys know Big Hero 6? Yeah. Oh, that's actually a really good example of this trend as well. Well, uh, Especially of one that like kind of started off that way and then sort of ended not so much in that way so uh one thing i want to mention is that literally i think today or yesterday um on disney plus they just released like six shorts called baymax exclamation point and um so my big issue with big hero six is that it felt like it was like a backdoor um pilot into a superhero like franchise um, franchise and it really felt like it betrayed, like, a lot of the movie. And also just the whole, like, idea that, like, um, you know, the kid started off as, like, a bot fighter. And then, like, he, his brother, like, was like, no, you can be more. And he's like, this is what I'm working on, something that helps people. And he's like, cool, I want to go to school there. And then, like, he he makes something that, like, can kind of help people. And then his brother is killed. And instead of like taking up what his brother was like trying to achieve and like help people through like a medical robot, he instead turns that medical robot into a bot fighter. And then the movie like ends with like him being like, that's the path forward. I did it. And I'm like, no, you fucking idiot. You were supposed to learn that like the path forward was to help people. By creating like the medical robot, like that was that was your path forward. But isn't that the arc? No, isn't that what? It, it ends with him and like all the his friends dressed up as superheroes, like saving, like jumping around the city. Yeah, I guess. But like he's he's strapped armor on him, and like that's he's like I did it, and I'm like no, you fucking didn't. <laughs> like you missed the whole point. And I was like, you know the the. The reason like Big Hero Six works largely is because 
Baymax is interesting as like this like goofy like soft thing that wants to help people and then they were like let's put it in like then strap armor on it and i was like no 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 you 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 lost what you you didn't realize what was cool these shorts uh are supposed to take place like after the movie but all they do is like focus on baymax as he just like like moves about the city and helps people in like as as just a like health robot. Oh, that sounds nice. He helps people like overcome what he or he, he like he's like he's like both like a physical but like emotional healer. Like there's a lot of like therapy that like he dishes <laughs> out and like they're only like 15 20 minutes some of them. They're really good and like really heartfelt. And like, I was like, these fucking six shorts really go a long way to making like Big Hero 6 like almost worthwhile. Because I'm like, go see that because the this these shorts redeem it. Oh, I can't wait to go see them. Yeah, there's a lot of interesting things. Like there's one episode is about Baymax helping a like 13-year-old girl deal with having her first period. And it's funny and interesting. And in the process, they have uh, a trans character, which is like very like stealthily like snuck in there. Like you, I like unless you pay attention. Like he's like very stealthily wearing like the trans flag shirt, and like it, it like it's interesting. Um, and I just thought that was fascinating. And like people hated turning red. Because they even mentioned having a period in the movie. <laughs> People were like, my kid's not ready for that. And I'm like, you're going to hate this short. <laughs> um, there's another uh, short that has uh, a man ask another man out on a date. Like, very, like, directly. Like, I feel like for Disney to, like, in Pixar, like, they always like, I feel like kind of like do things kind of like subtly or like they can, I feel like it's never like front and center and like, they never like are just like blatant about it. Like they just don't deal with that. And I, and like in this, the guy literally asked another man on a date, like just like straight up, like to the camera. And I'm like, you did it. You, Hey, good job. Like you did the thing like for once. And then it got removed from China's, disney plus <laughs> <laughs> probably yeah um but they're they're really charming and they're just about him being a health robot and helping people and like healing people like emotionally and physically and like people coming together to band around him because of that like it resolves in showing that like his value is in like who he is and like what he provides as he is not as like a superhero but just being who he is and i'm like this is what the movie was missing um and i'm glad they found it you're making me just think about like if we talked if we're like thinking about this trend in general which is like there are so many other kinds of stories of dysfunction that you could tell that you could then like show it you know being like resolved or addressed or 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 some something like that during the course of the story. You know, like there's so many like romantic relationship dysfunctions that haven't really been talked about in movies, right? There's kind of like very kind of like a very specific sort of 
inventory of romantic stories we tell in our movies and that's kind of it you know a lot of them like if you go back are very like toxic and very like patriarchal right exactly right and and or like it's like some some stupid miscommunication you know like oopsie daisy yeah wait i can explain yeah exactly that causes the whole whole (laughs) plot there are so many movies where it's like if you just if you two just talk to each other like normal human beings this wouldn't be a problem but like due to like movie hijinks like it's a problem exactly so yeah I, i would hope to see that you know you can go you could go you could expand a little bit more beyond particular sort of family dysfunctions and family dramas although i can find that i can see why that'd be very relatable like for kids because that's that's sort of the life that they have but yeah you could absolutely make make movies that are you know sort of therapeutic to all ages and all types of relationships that's what i'd like to see next i agree so do you figure that part of the reason why they have this sort of like world ending conflicts type things is to help keep the kids attention although it sounds like some of them like uh you know that wasn't actually the case because they didn't show up until the end in like turning red. It's more of just like adding fun. I feel mm-hmm. like it's just like, like the director of turning red really was like, she loves anime and she just wanted to like do something with like, that's like magical, like magic. Like one of the things is like magical realism. Uh, and Kanto is kind of like magical realism and turning red in a way is magical realism. And it's about like, having fun with like kind of serious things and then just kind of like, like turning red, like the, the ending is just, yeah. Like the culmination of like a lot of stuff that like, I feel like they loved like boy bands and like, like she, she pointed out directly, like attack on Titan was an inspiration. Um, you know, a sailor moon was a huge inspiration and like the idea of like a character, turning into like an idealized form um but like wasn't emotionally shielded you know i think the panda is kind of that because like she becomes like a more like outgoing like truer version of herself and then they have a giant battle at the end because it's fun but the whole battle like they're they're having an argument and it, they're like they're like dealing with things. Yeah, it's the climax of the conflict that they've been building the whole time, and it's not right. just a climax. It's a climax in terms of its scenario. There's also a climax in terms of the emotional right stakes. Because like a lot of like their issues between like mother and daughter like are finally like she's voicing like in that like fight she's voicing a lot of her frustrations about who she is, what's been put on her, and not being like accepted of her. And they're literally like clashing in that moment. So I think like, it's like, it's having fun with these things and doing it in like a fantastical way. That's kind of a big, I mean, that's a big part of this trend is that it's like, these are not just dramas, right? It's not just mundane characters crying at each other. There's magic involved and the magic Mm -hmm. is a metaphor for the conflict. And so it has that fantastical element, but it's not just there to be flashy. It's actually there to like reinforce the the character drama and the themes and stuff and the themes exactly and then there's and then there's everything everywhere all at once which is just fucking wild <laughs> which i mean it's fantastical elements also serve the story as well of the yes. sort of like yeah the what if kind of thing and the multiverse is really good at a what if i mean 
because that's why Marvel does a what if, right? Because that's sort of like yeah, hints it does a, it's got the multiverse thing too, and the like, you know, the 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 main antagonist character who is consumed by pessimistic nihilism feeds super well into like the reason that they have this pessimistic nihilism is because they you know the way that they experience all everything everywhere all at once <laughs> and then and then as as the um the sort of character foil she has the 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 main character evelyn has the positive nihilism the optimistic nihilism and then again that's they, they get to they get to hash it out in a in a way that that fits with the character drama between the two of them but also within the fantastical elements of being able to you know experience a multiverse i think the interesting about evelyn is like she doesn't start out as optimistic right like she falls into the nihilism and uh you know rejects the things that like are good in her life that she can't see and it's like her husband like shows her she doesn't embrace optimistic nihilism until that but she does reject the negative or the pessimistic nihilism because she doesn't choose she still she still chooses to seek another way than to dive into the bagel of nothingness right i love the everything bagel everything bagel yeah but i think like one of the the interesting lines is like the husband when he says like in another world i would have loved to do laundry and taxes with you do laundry and taxes with Mm -hmm. you when they're in the glamorous world yeah yep which is like one of the best parts of the movie. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's like such like a, a mundane line, but like contextually, like that's like a that's like a devastating like line, <laughs> mm-hmm. and it's like it's so good like in that moment because they're all dressed up in like glamorous gear, sitting out in the rain, smoking cigarettes, smoking cigarettes, and she's also experiencing you know, or like knows about or like has lived her life. Cause she's experiencing everything everywhere all at once in that moment. Right. Hearing him say that. Like it kind of snaps her out of like, you know, not everything, not everything is terrible. And like also the life that she was living, there are like, it's worth, it's worth living. And it like grounds her and then also like that's when she like takes up like the goofiness or whatever like adopts his like googly eyes yeah the googly eyes like like, on the rock the google eyes as they say yes (laughs) holy shit the the rakakuni fucking (laughs) that like i was like I've never seen a movie do sets up. up setting up and paying off as well as this movie. Yeah, yeah. I know. I've never seen anything like it. That was so <laughs> wild. And like like when she was there and she was saying Rakakuni in like the like office and like the like her husband and the daughter were like, What are you talking are you talking about Ratatouille? Like I busted out laughing so hard. And then later on, when she's the fucking chef and she pulls the guy's hat off and there's a raccoon like controlling him, like I nearly like just shit my pants. <laughs> there are so many moments like that. Yeah. When she's when it's going every version of her in the multiverse is screaming. And it cuts to the one where she's dead and her urn is screaming. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh, so you know the, the scene. So many details. The scene where they're just rocks. Yeah. So that those that's a reference to a series of children books by a guy named John Classen. Um 
they're they're the best they're the best books ever. The movie the movie is so dense with references. It's amazing. It's mm-hmm. it's amazing. Like the, when the I watched it, fingers. I was like, "Holy shit, is this a reference to like his work?" And it was. And I fucking was like, "This movie is fantastic." The 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 rise of of hot dog finger humans was a you know the oh, that was a reference to yeah. two thousand one Space Odyssey like hot yeah man, so many things. That was, I laughed. So fucking hard. And, and on top of that, like, not only were they doing 2001, but they were playing, like, the terrible version of Thus Spoke Zara, uh, Zarathustra or whatever the name of it is, like, in the background. Are, are like you familiar song? with that meme? No. So it so there's a band where everyone was required to be playing an instrument that they've never played before. <laughs> and they recorded... Thus spoke Zarathustra. Um, I'm probably butchering the name a little bit, but you know the opening theme to 2001, and it sounds oh, okay, okay. awful, absolutely <laughs> terrible. And that's the version that they used in this movie. <laughs> if you were paying attention to like the hot dog fingers, like it's the music's yeah, it goes off the rails. That's amazing. Also, the best the best thing about the hot dog one is. When like I mean, it had an emotional payoff, first of all, which is when when they get back together, great. and then they start putting their like hot dog fingers in their mouths, but then like they just like cut away and then cut back and like they're they're just like fingers are like spewing like ketchup and mustard. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's so funny because they don't like show it like coming out, but they like like it's that's what's happening, and it's so fucking bizarre and so great, <laughs> like it's. It's so stupid. Also, I fast forwarded <laughs> through the credits, and at the very end, like apparently the production company is called Hot Dog Fingers Incorporated or something like that. Nice. Wonderful. <laughs> now we're just gushing about this movie without really talking about therapy. I don't care. It's, <laughs> good. it's such a good movie. Mm-hmm. Rakakuni. <laughs> Goddamn. Are you guys ready to take a break? Let's do it. Yeah. Okay. Welcome back. Do you guys want to do? Hey, check this out. Absolutely. Your hey, check this out. Has it got that special Rochester clarity to it? <laughs> Does it? <laughs> Your new recording environment felt felt different, yeah. <laughs> felt new and special. <laughs> I'm gonna go first because mine's stupid. I'm just gonna recommend the Baymax shorts on Disney Plus. <laughs> They're very good. Go watch them. They're, it's just like it's just called Baymax with an exclamation point, and there's six shorts, and the production quality is like, like. 2022 year like full movie level pixar quality it's not like tv like cg quality or anything like that like it they put in like max effort and it's great so it goes there there are other like baymax short 
shorts that are out there, don't watch those. Watch the new ones that are good from 2022. I shall do that as soon as, as soon as I can. Uh, I'll go next. Um, so uh, everything everywhere all at once. Um, the one of the directors has another movie called Swiss Army Man, in which uh, Daniel Radcliffe plays a corpse with surprising powers. <laughs> like still moving. Uh, yeah, I don't want to spoil too much about it. Again, <laughs> okay. like everything everywhere all at once, like. You know, it's better, to, but it just has okay. that same sort of incredibly wacky, like what the fuckness sort of feet, like like quality to it, and, and that somehow still works even though conceptually it shouldn't. <laughs> it's like wow, who the fuck makes a movie like that? So yeah, go go check that movie out, um, Swiss Army Man. The thing with like everything, everywhere, all at once, like the quality of it is that like the concepts and stuff behind it. Like if you just pull, pulled them out, like and just told them someone that they'd be like, haha, like that's like a funny thing, I guess. But like, that sounds like actually stupid. And like the fact that they, like the Rekakuni thing, like it's like a, a, sh- a short joke, but you're like, that's kind of, that's kind of dumb. And also like cringy in a way, but somehow would they fucking make it work so good? Mm-hmm. All right. I can go next. Um, so I think a while back, Roushi recommended the book Hyperion. Um, and I've started listening to that on audiobook. I'm about a third of the way through it, and I'm enjoying it. It's It reads like a series of short stories, since you have different characters narrating different stories. It's sort of soft science fiction, um, which is a bit of a change since I was reading Expanse before this, which I'd also recommend, but I think we've also recommended that to death. Um, but one of the interesting things is it reads like a piece of science fiction written in like the 1960s. I don't know if that's an intentional stylistic choice or something, but I found out it was written in 1989 as I was talking. Um, but, you know, it's like a lot of the terminology, like, you know, LAS rifles and stuff like that. And, you know, lasers, death beams, so on and so forth. Um, but anyway, um, it's sort of like, you know, sci-fi book, space drama. Check it out. Space. It's where everything happens. Cool. I'm going to recommend the horror movie called Popcorn. Um, it's like an early 90s sort of slasher about these uh, like college students, I think, putting on like sort of a cheesy horror film festival and things go terribly wrong and people start to die. Um, Is it sexy? Sure, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I feel like you asked that about everything. Mm-hmm. Chill out for a second. <laughs> Um, horror movies always have like a sexy part and so then they die. it always has a sexy part that goes horribly wrong <laughs> yeah right right what does that say about the the art <laughs> <laughs> anyway sorry yeah this is a really cool uh, it's kind of like a love letter to old school sort of or they could because they put on a film festival that has like the old sort of 50s and 60s sort of horror vibe with like the theater gimmicks and stuff like that and uh yeah, just a cool kind of lesser known slasher. It's a lot of fun. Um, got a little bit of the family drama too, but probably not as good as what we talked about. But yeah, <laughs> it's a fun little horror movie. Check it out. Popcorn. When 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 was it made? 91, I think. Oh. Interesting. All right. Uh, you can find me on Twitter. I'm at A. Mindler. Where can people find you guys? You can find me also on Twitter. I'm at The Brendo. I'm also on Twitter at Heckbringer. And you can find me on Twitter at Redhesion, also adhesion.bandcamp.com and soundcloud.com slash adhesion. And you can find all of us on Team Radmars. We're on Twitter at Team Radmars. We're also uh, 
on Team Rad. Wait, Radmars.com. Shit, it's been a while since I did yes. this. And Radmars.itch.io. Uh, this episode was edited by Andrew Ford, and music on this episode was also by Andrew Ford. And if he really wants to, he should bleep out Expanse spoilers from a few minutes ago. You can just cut it out. <laughs> you can just cut me out of the episode. That's fine. Perfect. <laughs> you should cut me out of every episode. Just go back and re-edit <laughs> the entire podcast. Yeah. Just remove me. Be like from uh, all 100 <laughs> podcast episodes that we've made. What the fuck? That, that 2,000 hours of work will definitely be worth it. Right. Mm. It'd be like a Garfield. It'd be like Garfield without Garfield. Right. Remember that? (laughs) Maybe we should all just get together in person and spend all of our time listening to all of our podcasts. Oh, we could do a podcast where we do react to our own podcasts. Oh my God. Just kill me. (laughs) (laughs) The worst Ouroboros. The human centipede. Yeah. All right. Did we, did we, We did we finish? Did we finish the 100th episode correctly? We solved family trauma, so yeah. Oh, we solved family trauma. We did. You should oh. coming out of this episode a new person. Oh, I'm so glad that we solved generational and trauma. And if you're not, you're not watching the right Disney movie. Exactly. You need to go right. watch whatever the most problematic Disney movie is. Probably Snow White. Go watch Snow White. <laughs> I don't know. Pocahontas is pretty problematic. Yeah, it's in its own way, yeah. What about Song of the South? <laughs> well, <laughs> never saw it. That's because it's banned. Or oh, like, is it one of Disney those? doesn't have it anymore because of gotcha. uh, problematic portrayals of the South. Hmm. Problems abound. 100 mm-hmm. episodes. We did it. Great job. Feel good about that. So good. Yeah. Feel, feel therapy about that. We'll see you at the beginning of season three of Radmar's podcast next time. In two years. Oh, shit. We're taking a two-year break. <laughs> <laughs> Got to build up content for the next season. Yeah, got to get got to get our uh, journalists out in the field researching new topics. What we're actually going to do is we're going to record a hundred more episodes, but we're, we're going to release all one hundred at once in two. Oh, years. you get to binge it. Exactly. Yeah, that's right. Either that, or we we're, we're getting canceled, but then we're going to be you know adopted at Amazon with an actual budget. It'll be great. Now that's an expanse spoiler. I know. <laughs> if, you, if you think our episodes are not timely right now, <laughs> yeah, yeah, we'll, we'll be talking about shit that's two years out of date. <laughs> yeah. All right. Say goodbye. See you guys later. Goodbye. Adios. Bye. Bye.